Matthew 6, 26 through 33. Go ahead. Okay. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need, all, need them all. But seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Amen. Kings kids, if you are in second grade on down, you are dismissed. King kids. All right, there we go. I'm back. You might need to tweak some of that since it's, uh, we're on a different channel this week. So King's Kids, if you're in second grade on down, we got, looks like Miss Jerrica leading the way today. I think you got them all. Yeah. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll meet your needs. That's the heartbeat of it. Seek first God his kingdom, his righteousness, his plan, his ways, and the things you need will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his ways, when you feel anxious, that is your calling to trust God more and to learn to pray. That's it. When you are anxious, the first thing you should do is say, Oh, God, help me. Not take matters into your own hands. Not try to fix everything and everybody else. And not beat yourself up. Anxiety comes because we live in a broken, fallen world. You are a broken, fallen human. So what do we do? Well, the church answer is we trust God. How do we trust God? Um, that's part of what our series is. For those, we've got a lot of visitors today. Thank you for coming. We appreciate that. And uh, If you didn't get a visitor card, grab one on the way out. Write it down. That's the only thing we ever ask for you to Drop in the offering plate. Our members are taking care of our needs. We don't need the money from visitors. This is not your home. This is not your church. It's our church, and we welcome you to it. Fill out a visitor card. Let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, leave it in your seat. Leave it by the door. We'll find it. It finds its way to me somehow, some way. Um, but to the visitors, I say we are starting a new series, and so far we're starting differently than I usually preach. Yeah, We usually pick a book of the Bible and then dissect it, take it apart verse by verse, and plow through it. We're going to do some of that as we go through this study on wisdom. 
But I'm taking a long, deliberate approach to lay a big foundation that we can all stand on together. Because my goal is to get all of us headed in the same direction with the same mindset of understanding what wisdom really is. Wisdom is not just a piece of who God is. Wisdom is the expression of all that God is. And so in this pursuit of wisdom, we are not looking for little nuggets of truth. We are looking for the mother load, God himself. Not just little pieces to get us by in life, but everything we need for godliness and his presence. Um, today's sermon is a split off from last week. So this is a conclusion to last week. Six steps to improve or enhance spiritual communication with God. We talked about communicating with God should lead to communion with God, should lead to union with God. We're, we're going to address that again in a minute, but um, I do have some disclaimers here. <laughs> Christianity is not a do-this religion. If you do this, then God will do this. No, no, no. That is oversimplifying things, and it's kind of deceiving, as if, God, we're in a box. And if I can just cut the ribbon and open the box the right way, then God will reveal himself to me like I want him to. That's not the God of the Bible. He often reveals himself to you in ways that will make you quake in your boots. Shake, tremble, in awe and reverence. Fall down on your face because he is God and you are not. These six steps are about knowing God. So this is not a to-do list, but a know God endeavor. It's, it's a challenge to know God, to embrace Him more, to find Him, not just find His blessings, not just find what I need to get through today. There's a lot more to your life than today. We need enough of God to last eternity. And here's the good news. There is enough of God to last for eternity. We in this life are just beginning to scratch the surface, not of who we are. It's not about you. Not about what this world is like. It's not about this world as it remains, but about who God is and removing the veil, seeing beyond this life into deeper truths, bigger truths, way more satisfying truths. So this is not a secret formula. This is not um, a self-help six-step seminar. Doing these things I'm going to present to you today will not guarantee that you are a spiritual person. In fact, you can do these six things and still be very, very far from God. If you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you believe Jesus is who this Bible says he is, now I'm confident that these six steps will help energize you and point you closer to his heart for you. You know him more. Not just do better, 
but for you to be better. We can use these steps to mature. Show the next slide. Here's a little summary of what we tackled last week. I enhanced it so you could uh, read that a little bit better. <clears throat> On the far left side, you've got these different colors that grow. Th this is our knowledge of God. It starts off at the bottom with communication. God communicates to us who He is. We can learn a little bit about God from looking at nature, standing in the middle of a storm. We can understand how powerful God is. We read God's word. He communicates to us. We open up his word. We begin to understand his will for our lives, the importance of who he is, that he is holy, that we are not. And if we will spend time learning to pray, learning to study his word, learning to spend time alone with God, that communication can turn into communion. And when we commune with God, we get to know more of God. See how the colors grow, the understanding of God as we go up? And then it turns into union. Then the peak or the pinnacle or the end game for all of this is for us to experience the fullness of God forever. That's where God is aiming. And a lot, a lot of the harder things to understand in your Bible, if, you, if, I, if I had to put my finger on it, the most challenging passages in the Bible are when God talks about you experiencing his fullness. And the reason that is a difficult concept for you to grasp is because we, if you're anything like me, we don't spend enough time building from communication to communion to union. We just want to know, how's it going to be? Tell me about it. But the Bible is meant to have enough information in it to keep you pursuing God for your entire life. It needs to be unpacked. And it needs to be learned personally. You cannot go to seminary and learn everything there is to know about God. You have to go to funerals. You have to be diagnosed with cancer. You have to experience loneliness. You need to be attacked by depression. Because it's then and only then that you finally realize you're not in control of everything. God, I need your help. That's why God allows suffering. It doesn't derail God from his plan for your life. So you should not let it derail yourself from pursuing God. And it's a journey. It's a journey that we are on. We're stuck in the loop. We are justified, saved by grace through faith. That's who I am in Jesus. And once I have that settled, I can grow. I can begin the process of sanctification, learning more about him, learning more about him, learning more about him. And there's that sanctification process is going to include a lot of personal changes, a lot of tears, a lot of weeping, a lot of repenting, a lot of changing, a lot of growth, a lot of accountability, sanctification, sanctification, more and more like Christ, being transformed from glory to glory. But I'm not perfect. Sin will come. I will make a decision that puts myself above other people. I will make a decision to totally rebel against what God says to do and not do in my life. And I will sin. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? Blow that whole thing up and just walk away from God? Well, what does the Bible say we're supposed to do? Repent. What is repentance? 
coming back to justification and remembering this Christian life I'm living, it wasn't started by me in the first place. God saved me. His grace, my faith, working together, I'm trusting Jesus to be my righteousness. These six steps we're we're launching on are not do right, do right, do right, you arrive. No, you are right if you believe Jesus is your only chance of being right with God. That's where you start. And God does all the heavy lifting. The things you're responsible to do are baby steps. He does expect you to do something with your life. Not save yourself. Not be perfect but he does expect you to grow, submit, obey, repeat, and go through this process of growth. Step number one, turn off your electronics. You might even want to add to the side there, more. Sooner. More regularly. I see a couple of you digging for your phones right now. Um, not, I don't mean like right now. I mean, it, that's good. But if you're taking, like, yeah, Jean, don't turn your phone off right now. She's taking notes. She knows how to use the app. She is slick, very sophisticated. And then there's Roy. And she's trying to get him on board. She's teaching him. She's bringing him along. But, uh, what I mean is, in today's day and age, we are being bombarded and saturated by millions of messages and images and we need to learn to turn that off more often more regularly and sooner it has become a necessary evil to have a smartphone you can do wonderful things you can communicate with people you love around the world in an instant you can find information you can find solutions you can you can get help quicker than ever but uh, smartphones make for dumb people. We are unloading more and more of our daily thinking onto electronics. And we need to recapture the ability to engage our brains and engage real people. How do you do that? By putting that away, looking people in the eye, and communicating. Same thing with God. By putting that away, facing the truths about what the Bible says about God, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. What is the right thing to do? If you don't know, you don't need to Google it. What is the right thing to do in this situation? How do I handle this? The right thing to do, God has it, seek His kingdom his righteousness and then he adds he brings this is a wisdom journey we're not just after solutions but we are after god why would god talk to you when you're busy listening to somebody else shut it down more often more regularly um, and be our scripture reading this morning from matthew 6 be the kind of person who is seeking after god's kingdom and take, uses their own anxiety, I like this, use your own anxiety to kill it. Use your anxiety to turn you into a person who prays and seeks God's wisdom. 
and God will come show up for you. Turn off your electronics more. Number two, go to bed sooner. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not going very deep this morning. Because we cannot pray well, listen well, serve other people well. We can't read God's word deeply when we're tired. We just can't. We don't, we are, <laughs> do you, you have to realize you are designed to spend one third of your life sleeping. More than that, if you consider your baby days, right? Why? Why is sleep so important? Because that's the way God has chosen to reboot you, re-energize you, recharge you every single day. You're meant to have highs and lows. You're meant to have highs and lows. Make some changes to get yourself a proper amount of sleep. And that's going to be different for different people. I didn't put a number up there because some of you freaks can operate on five hours of sleep. The rest of us folks need nine to ten. If you're a teenager, and even 12 might be good for you. At different seasons of life, at different periods of life, you are going to need different amounts of sleep. Get it. Cut things out of your life to get it. Champion that. If you're a parent, watch your kids. Make sure they're sleeping. It's okay to take away their phones. Turn off the Wi-Fi. Disconnect the whole house. Do, Do whatever it takes to facilitate the ability to come to church and not fall asleep, to be in a small group and not fall asleep, to pray and not fall asleep, to drive and not fall asleep, to do anything and not... Those are some of the funniest videos on planet Earth. you got that little kid eating spaghetti in his high chair. (laughs) Head into the bowl, splashing the cereal, into the sauce, like, oh, it's so cute. Like, put the kid to bed. (laughs) <laughs> what? it doesn't mean you have to always be right on you're going to have special activities you're going to have field trips you're going to have away games and long days those things come you're going to have periods in your life when, when you've got a newborn in the house good night you better sleep all you can because once that happens game over they rule your life the little dictators you might have give them a little crown a little princess and a staff and <laughs> they're in charge of you So when you don't have them, sleep. Get into a good rhythm. Chronic fatigue, this is a big problem in our society right now. Chronic fatigue changes the way you live and think, and it's not for the better. Do something about it. If you need some medical assistance, you need to talk to your doctor about that. Um, It's okay. It's okay to get some help with that. You may may need a, a CPAP machine. You may need to... Get some medication that helps you. The goal here is not to just sleep more. Are you hearing me? The goal here is sleeping enough, being rest enough, so that you can hear God communicate to you better. When you're tired, you can't. Number three, pray earlier. Pray earlier in your schedule or in your routine. 
Again, I cannot put a specific time or number on that because if you're working 12s and you're off at 7 in the morning, early morning devotions are going to kill you. You're going to try to pray, dear God, (laughs) you're gone. Go to sleep, wake up. When is the beginning of your day? 2 o'clock, all right. Wake up, have your brunch. Pray earlier. Wherever you put prayer in your life, I'm challenging you to bring it earlier into the day before you're so distracted with all that you need to do. Now, if you're turning off your electronics, if you're getting enough sleep, then here's the thing. Getting up a little earlier to use the beginning of your day to seek after God becomes reasonable. I can't just tell you, wake up early and pray and your day's going to be great. Uh, Not if you got off at 6 in the morning or worked a double. You need to sleep. But when you do get up from sleep, don't just get locked in on, here's my chore list for the day. And then we tend to give the best parts of our days to things that don't matter. That's what I do. That's what I'm guilty of. I I have habitually over the course of my life given the best parts of my days to a job, to a manager, to a teacher, to a boss. I think a lot of Americans do that. You want to know why marriages are failing? Because spouses don't give the best of their days to the people they say they love the most. You don't see your kid for eight hours. They're tired. You're tired. We come home and we fight. We can't get along. We disagree on everything. It's a battle to get them to do this. And then they don't, they don't, everybody's grumpy. Everybody's grouchy. Why? We tend to give the best of our days to the wrong things. So when I say pray earlier, I'm asking you to give God some of your attentiveness, some of your perkiness, you, it might change the way you pray. If you're kind of a, a, a depressed prayer all the time, change your prayer to a time of the day when you're jacked up and you're amped. I had lunch. I'm ready to go. Usually I go work out right now. You know what? I'm going to pray. Dear God, whoo. And you're, and you're just like, yeah. God is great. God is good. He's always great. Why, why is prayer so hard sometimes? Because you don't feel well. You pushed it off to the end of the day. Like, oh, it it might revolutionize the way you talk to God by praying earlier in the day. Skip lunch and pray. Cut your lunch in half and pray. But I have to eat. Man shall not live by bread alone. You'll be fine. Some of you will be finer than others, right, Mark? He's chuckling. You know where we're going. Number four, prioritize church members. Prioritize church members. I'm turning to Galatians 6. Several good verses there in Galatians I'm 
going to start, I'm going to read verse 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10. Galatians 6, verses 9. Jot that down in your notes. I don't think I put that in the notes, but uh, it needs to be in there. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. In due season we will reap if we do not give up. I like that spirit of perseverance, spirit of serving others, in season, doing it at the right time, reaping, good comes out of it. Let us not grow weary of doing good, and you will grow weary of doing good. Not everybody's going to appreciate you. You're not always going to feel well. It's not always going to go according to plan, but don't grow weary of doing good. Just keep doing what is right. Keep doing what you know you need to do. Keep going to work. Keep going to work. Keep doing your chores. Keep listening to your parents. Keep doing your assignments. It will grow weary. That's why it says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary of going to church. It will. You'll fall into habits and rhythms. Don't grow weary because you will. He's challenging us on the very thing we need to do. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is one of those rare verses in the Bible that is translated the same in every English translation. The word especially is there every single time. Do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What is that talking about? Do good to everyone, but especially be on the lookout to do good to your church folks. The people who are of like mind and faith as you. And in this world of pluralism, how do we know who agrees with us? How do we know they have the same Jesus? How do we know they agree with us on doctrine and covenant? How do they know church membership? That's the way we have put our finger on it here's how we know that we know who's with us who's against us if you're in the membership of Graceway, we know you're with us and we're going to try and do good to everybody neighborhoods feed the neighborhood welcome table fundraising missions but especially we want to do good to one another like-minded covenant bonded people And this is the church in Acts with the apostles. You wonder why that church exploded because they were all in agreement of one accord on who Jesus was. They had the same basic theology. That's what membership really does. We just kind of filter everybody. Do you believe these basics of the faith? Join us. Yeah. What does that do when you prioritize church members? A couple of uh, bullet points here. More believers means there's more grace in your life. You individually can hold this much grace, and that's a lot. But when you bring other believers into your lives, we have more hands. When your life is not going so well, you can still see God filling up other people, and we share the blessings. Yes, we are going to weep together but we are also going to rejoice together. And you can see God working in other people's lives, seeing His grace being sufficient, even when you feel like there's not 
much going on in your life. That's the power of being a body. Some parts of your body need more blood flow, circulation, and attention than other parts of the body at different times. And that little pinky toe is going to need a lot of blood and attention when you stub it, when you hurt it. But parts of you require different amounts of attention. As the church, we are the body of Christ. And we can experience more of God's grace together than we can alone. So second bullet point, you will experience more grace together rather than alone. That's the point. We've been working on this a lot in the last couple of years of unifying the mentality of our membership, elevating the importance of membership, because what we're actually doing is elevating the importance of basic doctrine. Do you believe what we believe? Because when we all believe the same basic things about God and are all headed the same direction, we get more done. We are more generous. We find more volunteers. We meet one another's needs better. And when we are all headed in the same direction, and I just off the cuff, even though I'm not wearing long sleeves, off the cuff, I mentioned, hey, let's, let's, let's raise some money for Feed the Neighborhood. And y'all bomb me with $3,000. When we're all working together, when we all trust each other, when we all see the same thing at the same time, and we want to do good for God's sake, for His kingdom, for His righteousness, this is an awesome church. You guys are great together, even though you're not so great alone. You're a bunch of rascals. Don't laugh so loud. Aren't you? Would you testify? I am better with this church than without this church. I am. I need your accountability. I need your wisdom. I need your screw-ups. I need to learn from your mistakes. I need to see faithfulness when you're single. I need to see faithfulness when you're young. I need you to show up when your spouse doesn't show up. I need you to sit there and listen when you have a million other things you could be doing. That fires me up that you took the time, the beginning of the week, to be here. That's grace, and it's wonderful. Here's some really practical tips. How can I prioritize church members in my life? Three hours of Graceway a week. 9.30, 10.30, and a midweek. That's a good place to start. I'm not saying that's like a perfect pill you take this pill you're going to be good but in general um, the people who i pray with the most lean on the most grow with the most are the people i see the most just show up that's one way it's one way to be around more like-minded people because we need corporate prayer together we need corporate Bible studies together. We need to sing together. Together, We are all better together. Uh, I look in Acts, the book of Acts, and I see these early church meetings where every day, every day they were meeting together. That doesn't mean they were all meeting together at the same time. From home to home, house to house, they, had the, they were doing life together. And they called it church. Now we do church and we're struggling to do life together. We've got it like backwards. They were just living life together and they called it church. 
We're doing church, but not living life together. You see the disconnect. If we want more God, we need to spend more time with each other, more meals together, more projects together. How can I do that? Three hours a week is a good place to start. No hard and fast rule there. But I can't, I'm not available all Sundays. I'm not, I'm not available for Wednesday nights. Okay, number two, start a small group of your own. Start a small group. How small? Five people? Five to eight people? And keep it small. If you keep it under double digits, uh, more people will pray, more people can get to know each other, and that's a good thing. We've had to recently blow up one of our small groups that was pushing, what? What were you guys pushing? 15 people some nights? Like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to reboot that thing. I do have it written down to fix it in the bulletin. I just keep messing it up. We have a couple new small groups in the works. We have a thing on our website called a sermon discussion. Where every week I am posting a list of questions that are follow-ups to the Sunday morning message. If you come on Sunday and you're taking notes in your bulletin, you can use that. Use that to start. And when I say a small group, it's not a coffee group. You don't just drink coffee and talk about the weather. You don't just theorize on what OU needs to do better. You don't just, you don't, and you don't just pray for one another. You talk about God together. It will lead into praying with one another. It will lead into other things. But God needs to be the center of that, where you, as a small group of people, are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. He'll show up. He'll show up. So start a small group. Find a small group. We've got a couple in the works here. Uh, We're kicking around... Uh, a couple of different Tuesday night ones with different families. We have some, I can't even, I'm not even going to tell you, Wendy. We have some underground groups. Did you know that? I'm, like, I know about them, but I don't tell anybody about them because they're doing really well, and I don't want you to join their group. Start your own group. <laughs> Sometimes there's a good thing going on. You're like, I want to be part of a good thing. Start it. Don't just always look for other people to do the work for you. Get out of your comfort zone. Number five, share your faith. What I mean by share your faith is talk about the goodness of God more. So often in our understanding of church, uh, share your faith turns into evangelism. Every time I open my mouth, I need to tell people they need to accept Jesus as Lord. No. That's not true. Not everybody's ready for that. And not everybody you're around needs to hear that. But everybody you are around needs to be reminded how good, gracious, benevolent, merciful, powerful, good God is. It will encourage believers and it will convict unbelievers. Sometimes it's going to turn into evangelism because they want to know more about your God, or you just can't shut up talking about His goodness, and they're like, what is into you? Jesus is going on. That's what's happening with me. And when believers hear that, you start getting people, pray for me, help me. Yes, amen, let's pray right now. I don't need a prayer list. I'm praying all day. 
Share your faith. Talk about God more. It's part of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Write that down on the side of your notes. I don't have it. Oh, I did put it in there. Yes. Before Jesus leaves his disciples, he reminds them, all power, all authority on heaven and earth, it's mine. That's Jesus' nice way of saying, I'm the boss now. I just conquered death. Yeah, okay, you're the boss. Nobody's done that. You're the boss. Okay, what does the boss say? Go. And as you're going into all the world, make disciples. Identify and baptize people who confess Jesus as Lord. That's what making a disciple is. And bring them in. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all the things Jesus has taught. And Jesus reveals his teachings through his apostles. His apostles have put their stamp on the New Testament. That's why these books that we accept as God's word are from the apostles who got it from Jesus. Jesus didn't write these things down. He entrusted them to faithful men who followed him beyond his own death and changed the world. That's what we talk about. That's what we share. What usually happens is we talk about the things we delight in and find meaningful. That's the natural way of talking about things. We naturally talk about what we delight in and find meaningful, things that capture our attention. So putting more God into our lives should mean we talk about God more. And don't underestimate the power of your personal testimony. Don't underestimate that. Talk about what God has done for you. You don't need to have a, a world-shaking testimony. Be delivered from every sin under, under, the, under the stars. Your testimony is going to resonate with somebody. So share it. Formulate it. Put it together. I was lost. I'm found, I'm adopted. I have purpose and meaning in my life because God is good to me. Keep it simple. Talk about the goodness of God. So there's number five, share your faith, talk about God. Last one, number six. Pray for God to increase your desire for Him. Pray for God to increase your desire for Him. If God's word makes sense to you, if you've read this book before and it, you, oh yeah, that makes sense. If you agree with it, oh yes, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe God is good. You heard it, you agree with it, you're familiar with it, but you just don't seem to have the motivation to do it and this step is for you. Ask God to change your heart. If you recognize there's a disconnect between what you say you believe and then how you live it, this step is for you. Ask God to give you a greater desire. Ask God to change you. 
ask God to reveal himself as so big and so good that you can't help but say, I want more. Ask God. Because you do not have in your small humanity, you never will, you'll never have an enormous desire for God unless he gives it to you first. My body is dead in trespasses and sins. I need him to open my eyes. I need him to illuminate the scripture so I understand it. I need him to remind me of the things. I need his spirit to convict me. Start putting all these Bible verses together. It's him doing the heavy lifting. I, God, why am I so apathetic? Why do I not care? What is wrong with me? You're human. That's what's wrong with me too. And we take that prayer and we say, God, help. I can't do this without you. Yes. You've arrived at the bottom of the loop. We go back to who Jesus is. What made you right with God in the first place? Did you work your way up there and do everything right? Nope. What makes you right? Justification. Jesus saves me. Now, grow up. Yes, sir. Go do. Go. Ask God to change your heart. It's kind of like his uh, profession. (laughs) He changes people. He changes people. Ask God to give you a greater desire for him. Even as you struggle through everyday life, even if you struggle through these other steps, Understand that we are a people who are, who are not afraid of God, but want more of God. We're not fearing His wrath and His judgment when we do wrong. We are eager to please Him and draw nearer to Him as we do right. So here's a summary of these steps. Steps one and two, they lead you to better communication with God. Write that down turning off your electronics, going to bed sooner, making more time in your life to read God's word, go to church, more communication, opening the bandwidth, freeing up some data, doing things to make more room for God to speak to you. Steps three and four, they create times for communion with God. Praying earlier in the day, giving him more attention when you are at your peak or at your best and spending more time around church members, not just to be your friends, but to be like-minded, covenant-bonded brothers and sisters who talk about God more. That's going to lead you to moments where you are praying together and sensing God is with us. Steps five and six address union with God in everyday living. When you get to the point that you take God's presence with you and you remember God is with you in everything, it becomes easier to share and it becomes easier to see the need to increase your desire and it becomes your regular prayer. I think of... uh, Oh, where was that? I'm going to spitball and say um, Luke 6. A man with a 
demon-possessed son comes to Jesus and Jesus' disciples cannot, for the life of them, cast this demon out. And the man falls before Jesus and said, they couldn't do it. He's desperate. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. I think he meant that for everybody. But that dad took it personally. He said, Lord, I believe. His next word was, help my unbelief. When that's all you've got to pray, you're aimed in the right direction. Jesus showed up. Jesus cast out the demon. The man receives back his son. And we learn a deep, deep lesson. Sometimes other people can't help you. Sometimes you can't help yourself. So what do we do? Lord, help my unbelief. Change my desire. And help me to stop just looking for blessings. Help me to look for you. Help me to stop settling for good things when I have access to the best thing. That's God himself. So don't forget this wisdom journey we are on. Next blank. This wisdom journey is a pursuit for God himself. We are not looking for quick fixes. We're not looking for financial advice. We are not looking for solutions to uh, our rocky marriages. We're not looking for parenting tips. And trust me, the Bible is full of all of those things. Very practical helps in all areas of life. But they're not doing what they're supposed to do if they're not first making you, showing you, you need God above all. When He's in the right place in your heart and mind, when you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, it becomes easier to love your neighbor as yourself. It becomes easier to share Him with a, a lost and dying world. It becomes easier to handle whatever diagnosis comes next. Our hearts are looking for God and we will only find rest when we are in Him. Uh, and with that, I have an announcement. On October the 2nd, I am starting a new 930 small group. Um, it's called How to Read Your Bible. Uh, I was initially planning to do this with just the teenagers down in the youth room. We're still going to do it with the teenagers in the youth room, but I'm opening it up since the youth room is big. We have room for everybody. If you do not already have a 930 small group or midweek group that you meet with, I'm inviting you right now to join us. If you want to pump the brakes on your small group and all of you meet with us at 930, you can do that too. Because what I'm learning with this wisdom journey, we're going to be unpacking wisdom from, from Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and Song of Songs. We don't know how to read that kind of literature in the Bible very well. Which means we don't know how to read all of the Bible, any of the Bible, very well. We don't know how to approach ancient narratives, ancient genealogies. We don't know how to interpret apocalyptic literature, which is even hard to say. I can't even hardly spell apocalyptic literature. Yeah, and you don't know how to read it well either. Our culture doesn't have anything that equates to that. So this, this 
It's going to be October the 2nd. It's going to be on Sunday mornings at 9.30 all the way at the other end of the church in the youth room. We're going to look at how to read different parts of the Bible correctly and understand them. And then when we read them correctly, then we can apply them correctly. That's going to be a big deal. So if you don't have a small group and you want to grow in wisdom with all of us, we're headed in the same direction. That's where we are going. Okay, I gotta, you got to participate with me on the last one. Where do you need help in these six steps? So we have six steps. Less screen time, more sleep, earlier prayer time, more regular prayer time, more disciplined prayer time, bigger household of faith. I need more believers in my life to support me, to pray for me, to know my problems. And some, I need more people in my life that I can encourage. Talk about God more, sharing God more, uh, having Him on the forefront of my mind every day, all day, every task, even the smallest tasks or deeper desire for God. Which one of these six things would you identify as the thing you need to work on the most. If you're taking notes, you've got a little blank there, write it down. One, two, three, four, five, or six. Write it down. Choose which one of these things. If I could walk out of here today and focus on just one of these things, should be a little bit all over the map, right? Depending on what you've gone through in life, where you are today in your spiritual journey, what's gone in at work, at home, with your health. It might be different. It should be different. Do you have it written down? And okay, for those of you who are not writing things down, it does, I, this doesn't mean you're not listening. I know what this means. It means you're focused really intently. Pick one. Lock it in. Pick one. Which You got it? Eric, you got it? You got it? You got it? You got it locked in? You got it? Terry, you got it? You picked one? Kayla, you got You picked one? Cole, do you, did you pick one? Did, I'm not. You have to have picked one. Are you ready? I'm going to go one, two, three, and on the count of three, you're going to turn to your neighbor and tell them which one of these six things you need to work on this week. Now, if you're sandwiched between two people, you're going to get two. You get to say it twice. And they go, number five. Then don't go number two to this person. It's like, number five, number five. All right? You got it locked in. One, two, three, share. Somebody do Coleman. He's by himself. Janine, turn around and tell Mark. Ogie, that guy. Got it? All right, now confess. Are there any pairs of people who have the same number? Raise your hands. Same numbers? Same numbers? Same numbers? You just found yourself a prayer partner for the week. Can you remember what the person on your left told you? You don't need to say it out loud. Pray for them this week. Do you remember what the person on your right said? Pray for them this week. I'm serious. You are all such creatures of habit. We have a 99% chance of you sitting in the same little curved spot in the pew next week. I know you. Sit there, and when that person shows up next week, you look them in the eye, and you say, I prayed for you. How are you doing? I prayed for you. How are you doing? And if that person isn't here, I give you permission to call them, text them, even in the middle of church. Say, hey, I'm praying for you. Are you okay today? It'll work. 
all of us growing closer to God together in the same direction, we will find God to be our source of wisdom. Stand with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for the many odd, unique people that you've brought together in this church this morning. Thank you that we are always growing, always changing, because your spirit is wanting to grow us and is wanting to change us. We come to you this morning, God, in the name of Jesus, who conquered death. We come to you in his name, and we ask you, God, overcome our hearts, overcome our pitiful, weak desires, overcome our habits, our shortcomings, and our selfishness. God, overcome us with, a, with an enormous sense of your goodness and your kindness, your grace, and all truth. We want to live a life of union with you that keeps you at the forefront of our minds every single day. So be with us as we sing. Be with us as we go to lunch. Be with us as we find small groups to participate in. Be with us as we pray for one another. Be with us as we ask for our desire to grow and to grow. Be with us as we share. Be with us as we set boundaries with our electronics. Be with us as we pray at better times of the day. Be with us. Because if you're not, we are missing out. Be with us, God. That is our prayer. That is the cry of my heart today. God, I could lose everything and be okay if I had you. Change us, fix us, and unite us to Jesus, our hope, our Savior, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.